Welcome everyone to Classics, Kane Academy's podcast on classic works of literature, art, film, and music. I'm Andrew Zorneman, your host. In this episode, I interview Jonathan Sanford, provost of the University of Dallas. Jonathan Sanford is also a professor of philosophy, and he and I recently sat down to discuss one of the most important philosophical works of all time, Plato's dialogue, The Apology. I hope you enjoy the podcast recorded on the Dallas campus in Irving, Texas. Well, good morning, Jonathan Sanford. Uh, thanks for hosting me here at the University of Dallas. How are you doing? I'm doing great. My pleasure to have you here. Well, thanks so much. So uh, today we're going to talk about one of your, your great passions, uh, Plato's Apology, mm-hmm. uh, which I know you've, you've taught many times, and as a serious scholar, a philosopher, you You've worked that text over. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to, to help men and women who are working in the classroom, uh, maybe in uh, high schools, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in uh, continuing education programs, approach the apology with greater intelligence and strategy. So mm-hmm. uh, we're really grateful for any insight you can lend us. And uh, along the way, some 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 of that passion, too, is so we pass it off to our, our listeners. Great. So let's start with... Um, you know, what are some good personal details on Socrates, uh, the the man and his trial that um, we probably ought to have in our, our bucket as we're walking into a classroom? Yeah, well, the uh, you know we know he's quite old, um, uh, around the age of seventy at the time of the apology. Um, he, he makes he makes some passing reference to um, habits that he has. Uh, for instance, his tendency to engage in in a conversational mode, his his ugliness. Right, he's he's often laughing about his his pug nose and and the way that he he um, looks a bit like a like a satyr um, and um, is a bit overweight. And so um, that's that's certainly a, a part of of the man Socrates, but. The the um, the engaging style that you find in some of Plato's dialogues, um, you have just bits and pieces of here in the Apology. Um, we we find out from the Apology that that he he uh, nobly served in the military, right? He in fact is is celebrated um, for his his um, um, his courage and his service to the city. Of Athens, this is something that that Xenophon also brings out in his own reflections upon Socrates, and and um, either whether it was Socrates himself or, or Plato, um, we um, we find a kind of uh, deliberate um, emphasis of those those heroic qualities to show the ways in which um, uh, the way that that Socrates lived his life, not just as as a, a soldier, um, not just as a citizen, but as a as a philosopher, as a thinker, as a human being, were in fact noble and heroic. So he's he's presented as a kind of new Achilles, a new model for um, Greeks to imitate in the Apology. We know that the Apology um, was written by Plato about ten years after the death of Socrates, and of all of the the works of Plato. The, the apology is thought to be the closest to the way in which Socrates um, actually spoke and engaged his, his fellow Athenians. Um, we know that he really was tried, right? And, and he gave a speech in front of the assembly. And that's part of the reason why we, we think of the apology as being a, a quite faithful 
representation of Socrates. Because although, of course, any author is going to take liberties when they they write up a speech, Thucydides certainly did this in, in um, um, ways that, that are quite remarkable, Plato would have felt accountable to, to have... Um, um, a, a certain fidelity to the event, it still would have been in, in relatively recent memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 yeah. yeah and, and, however, given that it was uh, still, as you say, you know, the author takes liberties in a sense, another way to say that would be you know, the author crafts the dialogue, right? So yes. it's, it's, a, it's a work of literature. It's not just an historical record. That's right. In fact, it's not primarily an historical record. It's primarily a work of literature, wouldn't you say? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So can, can you give us some tips on how to approach that? So the, you know, the organization of the apology mm-hmm. and, um, you know, what we should be looking for in terms of the, the unfolding of the, the drama that's in it. Yeah, so we know that um, um, he's he's answering two charges there in the in the apology, um, and and the two charges that have been brought forward by Miletus, uh, Miletus, depending on how you want to pronounce the Greek, are uh, that he's he's impious and that he is a corrupter of youth. So those are the the formal charges that he's there to answer. Socrates brings before the audience two other charges that have swirled around him for the last 30 or 40 years or so. And um, that's that he is, on the one hand, a, um, a pre-Socratic, as we would say now. Of course, he didn't say pre-Socratic uh, philosopher. That is to say, he's, he's somebody who's concerned with the, um, the, the physical structure of the universe. He's like um, uh, Thales or... Um, 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 you know, Anaximenes, or, or one of these these philosophers, Anaxagoras, who who was uh, speculating about the the structure of the universe, um, and the other is that he's a sophist, right? That he's he's somebody who strives to make the weaker argument the stronger, and those two um, charges were, so to speak, brought against. Socrates in a in a very vivid way in um, Aristophanes's The Clouds, where um, Socrates is depicted on the one hand as a as a natural philosopher obsessed with with theories about the structure of the universe. He's t- talking about vortexes in in this text of Aristophanes all the time, and and he's he he corrupts um, the the young man that is sent to be trained by him, so that he at the end of of the comedy is is beating his own father up, right? So he's, he's turning things upside down, he, and he does so through a kind of sophistic deception. So Socrates is, 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 is aware that, that the, the formal charges that have brought him into court that day are actually motivated by these, these deeper perceptions about him and how he's lived his life. Okay, so just a, a point of clarity. So I think it's clear for all of us what the problem would be He's charged with being a sophist, mm-hmm. making the the worst argument sound better. It's mm-hmm. confusing. It moves people away from the truth, etc. What, what's the problem with his being charged, or at least having a reputation of mm-hmm. dealing with physical structures of the universe? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. So for the for the the religiously um, minded Greek, for the pious Greek, the the world is um, between. Two other worlds, so to speak. So there's there's the world below the earth, and there's the world above the earth. And the world below the earth and the world above the earth are both the worlds of the gods, 
right? And that's not where man ought to be treading, right? It's, it is, it's not proper to a human being to, um, as it were, um, say that, that the, the heavenly bodies that popular, um, the popular Greek mind suggested were, in fact, deities are uh, a kind of rock um, that's on fire, or to say that, that instead of, of what's below the earth being um, the realm of, of Hades and, and, and other deities, to, to say that, no, you've got basic elements there, or maybe just one basic element, like water or something that's indefinable. And um, so the, the, the pious Greek ought to, ought to um, know that he's a human being and, and stay within his realm, ought not to be reaching up into the heavens or below the earth. And so to speculate about the, the physical structure of what's above and below is, is to be engaged in a kind of, of hubris. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So on the surface, that position sounds uh, pious, sort of, but it also sounds kind of anti-scientific. Right, right. So it would be sort of posed against the the rational inquiry into the order of things. You know, we're just, what, a generation away from all the magnificent works on science by Aristotle, Mm -hmm. who will happily engage in the... The order of animals and the order of uh, plants and uh, uh, the physics of things. So, right. uh, so, um, is there? Am I missing something here? In the no. sense that you know, is there? Is there um, an intellectual bias against uh, science? Or, uh, there, there is, an, yeah. in, there, there is that bias within certain elements in Greek culture, right? So, Anaxagoras was in fact charged with impiety and corruption of the youth mm-hmm. for the the ideas that he held. Aristotle was in charge with impiety and corruption of the youth. And um, he's said to have said he won't allow Athens to sin against philosophy twice before he, he fled. But I, I think those were some... Um, um, that's because of his his um, uh, Macedonian status, right? So um, Aristotle is, is non-Athenian, and um, he's... Um, Seems to have been the instructor of Alexander for a certain period of time. The the um, anti intellectual biases within Athens really came to the forefront um, during Alexander's reign. And just as Alexander died um, in three twenty two or three twenty three, that's when that's when Aristotle is it's charged with impiety and corruption of youth. After a after a, a statue honoring him was erected because um, he. Um, was the first to put together a, um, um, a precise history of uh, Olympic victors, right, and, and was honored by the city of Athens for doing that. So Athens, Athens was not um, homogenous in its admiration of, of innovation, and at different periods of its history, the, the, um, um, the, the, the city was more or less inviting of different points of view, right? So the, the period of the of the sophists, for instance, right? so Socrates is accused of, of sophistry. We can recognize what's what's wrong with that. No, not every sophist was um, um, someone dedicated to making the weaker argument the stronger. Gorgias, the sophist, um, bragged about his ability to do that. But these were paid itinerant teachers who were welcomed into Athens in order to instruct the youths of the elite in how to be good rhetoricians, how to be um, um, capable statesmen, and they profess to be able to teach virtue. Um, But Athens itself, after the the demise of the Peloponnesian 
war, right, was taken over by the 30 tyrants, and, and Socrates um, was nearly killed during that period of time because he was um, going to be taken into into court on trumped-up charges because he, he refused to falsely accuse some of his fellow citizens. Um, and um, many of the um, Athenians, after the restoration of democracy, after the 30 tyrants um, were removed, um, um, the the, sol- the sophists were seen as, as problematic. The the uh, philosophical idlers, you might say, those who engaged in idle speculation about um, what we would call scientific investigations, right? So, um, um, the the popular connection was made between the the political and militaristic. Uh, failures and crises within Athens, and and those who engage in these kinds of, of um, um, scientific inquiries. Mm-hmm. Very good. A uh, couple of other questions before we sort of get into the content of the apology. So that word apology, that title. Yeah. So uh, help us understand that. Yeah. So it, it, it's not really. He's not. He's not apologizing, right? right. In the sense of you know. Uh, saying I, I did wrong and you know I'm sorry for what I did, but right, so what, what does it mean? So apologos means to speak before or in front of. Right? Logos, um, um, most of our audience will be familiar with, and and apo the the prefix um, just uh, indicates that. So so it's it's uh, the fundamental meaning is is defense. Right? He's providing a defense. He's not saying I'm sorry for the way that I lived. In fact, he he strikingly um, refuses to do that. And and after he's condemned. He's given an opportunity to propose a punishment in the apology, and, and the punishment that he proposes is the, the reward that's given to an Olympian victor. Right? He, he says, "I should have free meals in the Prytaneum the rest of my life." Right? Because of sounds great of the service that I performed at Athens. Right? Um, and and um, and so he, he's providing a defense um, from uh, on the surface level. It's a defense against the charges of impiety and corruption of the youth. Um, but it's it's um, on the deeper level. It's a defense of the way that he's lived his life, a life that he describes as a, a life seeking, um, cultivating a friendship with wisdom. Very good. Uh, the second kind of uh, you know warm up question before we get to the content of the text is the very is a question about the nature of a dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. So these it's interesting that we call the the Platonic writings like they're dialogues. In other words, they're exchanges between you know some, uh, two or more persons, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will read the the dialogues and and kind of work them up and, and cull from them what they would call doctrines, right? Or mm-hmm. you know, take away lessons. And um, but I, but I want to know what you think about that that term dialogue and, and how to read a dialogue. Do you, is it important to understand that Socrates is talking to certain other persons, certain mm-hmm. characters, as we would say it's very important that Hamlet's talking to Ophelia and Polonius and Claudius in, in Shakespeare's play? Yeah, the, the interlocutor um, makes a, a big difference, right? So um, um, a work that I, I still remember reading with you, um, and I've read it many times and taught it many times, The, the Youth of Rome, which in, um, the drama of that takes place Prior to um, the apology, but just prior, right? So he's he's engaged in conversation. Socrates is with a um, a, a, a diviner, a priest who is um, 
going to to court in order to charge his his father with impiety. Um, and what did his father do? Well, something that that would not immediately be recognized as um, impious. Um, and um, he, he um, is charging his dad with, with murder, a kind of uh, uh, premeditated murder, but it's not so clearly the case, right? And so Socrates here um, is engaged in a conversation on piety, and we don't learn what um, Socrates or Plato, this is Plato's Socrates really in, in this dialogue, um, thinks about piety. We might be able to, to say, well, he means X and Y. Uh, but many of the positions that he maintains there are positions in order to help Euthyphro discern whether he really knows what he claims to know, which is the truth about piety and, and um, what uh, piety entails with respect to, to action, particularly the action of uh, prosecuting a family member. So, um, yes, the, the interlocutor matters. Um, in many of, of the early works of Plato, um, the, the dialogues themselves, and, and again, the apology is kind of funny because m- most of it really is a speech. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are just few, a few features that are um, a dialogue, but it's a speech before the public assembly, right? And, and we need to be mindful of that as we're, as we're working through this. Um, it's uh, a speech before a public assembly that Socrates himself has been a member of on many occasions. Um, he was, for a period of time, the leader of his demos, of his neighborhood, a public representative, and references some of the, the behavior of other members of that public assembly mm-hmm. who are um, uh, who had been tried themselves and says, well, I'm not going to do what you do and, and um, weep and cry and beg for my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, uh, But I'll mention that, that um, I'm not... I, I don't come from Oak, um, and I've got a family, and yes, I care about them, and I want, I want them to be um, um, <clears throat> cared for should you, should you execute me. So there are these, these little moments where, where the audience really does matter in the apology, but um, what, what, are, what are the platonic doctrines, right? That's been a vexed question. And, and if you look to the dialogues as the place to... Um, figure out exactly what Plato thought about this or that, and whether it was what Socrates thought, and um, you're, you're going to be, I think, um, on a, a wild goose chase oftentimes. Now, I do think that there are are certain positions um, of Plato that can be discerned, uh, particularly within his, his middle dialogue period, so the Republic is a, an important representative of that part of his, his career. Um, themes that, that come up repeatedly, but he, he tries out theories, right? So anamnesis, the, the theory of, of recollection that plays such an important part in the Mino, right? Does, yeah. does, does Plato really think that um, <clears throat> we are reincarnated, that there's a transmigration of souls, that all learning really is recollecting? Well, um, he may have. He may have thought that for a while. He may have been trying out a theory, right? We, we see little glimpses like that in, in the Phaedo, where um, in, in the Phaedo, Socrates is, is uh, putting forward a number of arguments to the, to the conclusion that the soul is immortal. And, and um, near the end of that dialogue, he argues that, uh, he, he describes his technique. And, and he said that his technique was to put forward a hypothesis Right, a thesis in a in a dialogue, and maintain it for as long as he could. Right, attack it and and um, see if it, it can withstand attacks to the uh, to the contrary. Um, 
that doesn't mean that he he holds that that hypothesis with conviction that he knows with certainty that it's correct, but it's the one that's stood up the best so far. Mm-hmm. Right? So think, think of this now in, in the context of the apology. One thing that I think those who are teachers who um, will be teaching this dialogue need to not fall prey to is to, to take Socrates' descriptions of, of his wisdom, of human wisdom, where he acknowledges that he doesn't know as indicating that he's a thoroughgoing skeptic. Because we, we also have passages in the Apology where he says things like he's convinced that a good man can't be harmed by a bad man. Right? He's convinced that a life in which you care more for the state of your soul than for material possessions is a life better lived. He's convinced that the unexamined life is not worth living and, and one ought to dedicate himself to a life of self-reflection and, and um, collaborative and, and, and investigation. That sustained effort to examine a hypothesis—that's right—seems to bear very good fruit. It does. We really mean we plow some serious ground uh, towards clarity, uh, towards avoiding wrong turns. That's right. Uh, so the the, the, pers- the pursuit of truth is certainly um, beneficial to to both interlocutors. That's right. And and um, you know again to draw from. It, beneficial to both interlocutors. Um, he's not a thoroughgoing skeptic in the sense that he, he thinks you can't find the truth, right? Um, he's sometimes read that way, I think, incorrectly. Again, to pull from the, the Phaedo, he talks about misologi there as, as one of the, the um, temptations of the dialectical method where um, you, you, you um, um, get gun-shy about holding positions because they keep getting attacked and, and you don't know what to believe anymore and you come to hate reason and, and you embrace a life of hedonism, right? That's um, that can happen with with youth sometimes who are introduced to the Socratic method. But the the um, um, you know it's it's interesting that the, the context for this this moment of Socrates emerging as the hero of the philosophic life is a it's a court case. Um, the 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 notion of of the the dialectical method itself has its origins in the kind of, of cross examination that that um, either a, a charged um, person would have to engage or witnesses who are brought forward right so it's a it's a kind of of um, um, cross examination that Socrates engages in with his interlocutors and it's to the effect of disabusing them of false opinions that they hold so that they can have a clearer path to the truth, right? And 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 we find in the apology then a, a very clear defense of what you might describe as, as intellectual humility, right? You need to acknowledge what you don't know. And when when Socrates is responding to um, the the deeper set of charges, what what he thinks has really motivated his being brought before the court now, it, he, he mentions the effect that his his dialectical method has had upon um, his fellow citizens, right? He's he's um, engaged paid teachers, sophists in conversation. He's he's engaged the um, politicians in conversations. In both classes, he's found to be lacking the knowledge that they profess to have, right? So the dialectical method can affect that, but people don't like to be um, shown up, so to speak. They don't like to 
be shown that they, they're not as, as wise as they proclaim they are and think they are. So in terms of his defense, isn't that sort of a two-edged sword in the sense that uh, he is both defending himself against the charge of corrupting the youth and engaging in piety, and at the same time, because what he does uh, kind of subverts or upends the status quo, right. there really is a sense in which they're, they're, they're kind of riled up, they're kind of stirred up in a way that looks like corruption. That's it right. looks like um, suddenly they're that he and they are, are on opposite sides of a, of a posture towards questions about what's divine or, or what should warrant our piety. Is that a good way to describe that? I think, I think that's right. And we also need to be mindful of the fact that there, there were some examples of people who were really corrupted, like Alcibiades, mm-hmm. who spent a lot of time with Socrates. Mm-hmm. Um, and Plato had relatives who were deeply um, um, enmeshed with the, the 30 tyrants and, and the havoc they wreaked on, uh, wreaked on Athens. So, um, yes, it looks like corruption. Um, and um, that's why I think the apology, the, the text it's By the way, you're, you're not saying that he, he corrupted Alcibiades, but rather because Alcibiades is, 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 Alcibiades is so attracted to Socrates, right? Mm-hmm. And, and he's enamored of him, and at the same time, he's just sort of opposite poles in terms of public comportment and uh, you know what his own passions and, and right. ideas are directed towards. Right, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, I was a little messy there. Going back to some of the context here, right? So some of those who've associated with Socrates um, turned out to be very poor um, Athenians and, and people of poor character. Socrates makes clear that, that they were never formal students of his, and um, indeed they they um, took the opposite lesson, right? And, and this is this is a good reminder for all teachers, right? We're we're not ultimately responsible for the the character of of our of our students, um, and yet we are responsible to um, for doing everything we can to to shape it properly. So um, yes, the the. Maybe maybe to back up um, a little bit. I mean, one of when I was in in college, um, uh, we translated the the apology, and uh, so I was a uh, in a Greek and Latin program, a four year great books program, and and the exercise that um, we had to engage in after we had translated the apology was to take up the question whether or not Socrates really was a corrupter of youth. Mm-hmm. Right? And, yeah, very good. And. Um, and and we had to we had to make the Athenian case you know we had to go pro and con and, and that was that was very helpful and um, you know from a, a certain traditionalist mindset you have this this fellow who's bumping into those who are trying to rebuild Athens and and reshape it along traditional lines and um, you know Alcibiades uh, Aristophanes himself was a, a, a bit of a traditionalist. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why he, he pilloried Socrates in the way that he did. He saw him as a um, a, uh, a destructive element within the city. Um, you don't you don't try to shake up these traditional ideas. And what um, Socrates strives to do, or Plato in in crafting this this account of Socrates' speech, is to present. The philosophic life as, in fact, a life in service to the god Apollo, right? Um, who's associated with with Delphi, right? So there's the the reference of of Socrates' friend Cariophon going to 
to Delphi, asking the oracle, who's the you know, who's the wisest person? And the oracle saying, well, Socrates, right? And so Socrates says, well, I know I'm not wise, so what, what could the oracle mean, right? So and that, that gets us into the, the earlier part of, of the dialogue when, when Socrates is accounting or recounting how he's, he's engaged these different people in, in conversation. But then later on, he says, I, I've been sent here. You know, I'm on a mission from God, right? Um, um, I can't help but think of the Blues Brothers when, when he talks about himself as a gadfly on, on a mission from God. And, and he's here to... He's here to, to nip Athens in, in the rump, right? And that's what gadflies do with horses and, and awaken them. Awaken them to what? Well, to, to caring more for the state of their soul than for material possessions or, or other things. That, that care for the soul, the care for the character of um, the Athenian citizen... That, that is, without a doubt, a shared quality, whether you're a traditionalist or an admirer of, of Socrates. And so part of what I think Plato is, is um, striving to show here is, okay, his, his technique is unfamiliar. Um, I acknowledge that. It's, it's, um, and it can be unsettling. And it, it can seem as though it leads to bad effects. But in fact, what he's doing is um, a service to uh, that god of order, not chaos, but Apollo is the god of order, and striving to awaken you to your, your fundamental task to live a life of virtue, right? And, in, and if, if you're going to, and if the Athenians are going to wax in terms of piety, if they're going to wax in terms of what's truly good for a person, they can't very well be in a position to argue against tending to the care of the soul. Right? That's right. So that, that's, a, that's an impossible brief to, to make and win with right. in, in a courtroom situation. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I sometimes um, I can't help but think of the Republic in, in the context of some of these cases. And Alan Bloom um, remarks that uh, whereas the, the apology is Socrates' defense of, of his way of life, the Republic is Plato's defense of Socrates' way of life. And and the the two main interlocutors in the Republic are Plato's brothers, right? Um, and the uh, Glaucon and Admantus. And um, the, the structure of the Republic presents a very different account of how Athens came to be corrupted. It came to be corrupted precisely because of the absence of philosophical attention, right? So if you, if you think of, of um, uh, Cephalus at the beginning, the, the, he's, he's the older generation, the generation that still remembers um, the Battle of, of Marathon. And he is, um, uh, he, he's, he exits pretty early on, right? So we find him um, making hymns to to uh, the gods. Um, he says he loves to talk about philosophical concept, uh, concepts. Let's talk about justice. Socrates asks a tough question, and uh, Cephalus says, okay, I'm out of here. And he hands off the argument to his son, who's kind of a, a, a standard um, Athenian, Polymarchus, um, who's of the same generation as Socrates, right? Polymarchus um, doesn't know what he thinks about philosophers versus sophists. They look all the same. Thrasymachus is there, this notable sophist. But the, the real drama is about what's going to happen to the, to the young people there, right? Um, Glaucon, Adimantus, and, and many others. Um, they're watching this unfold. But it's, it's precisely because of, of Cephalus and the people of his generation 
not really attending to what's going on between you know, the Socratic type versus the sophist, that the, the, uh, the care for uh, a fundamental virtue like justice has not been properly taken. Right. So, w- which is expressed right in how rocked they are by the proposition that any man, most men, would do the wrong thing gladly if they could get away with it and, and right. benefit in, in the sense of you know material and uh, you know uh, material benefit, social benefit, That's right. et cetera. And right. and so this becomes the impulse for Socrates creating this, the so-called Sidian speech, right? And, That's right. Uh, to make a new kind of case. That's right. There's a new, there's a new education introduced to, precisely because that generation was incapable of seeing the distinctions between the, the one mode of thought or, or living and the other. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. And so I, I look at that that Sidian speech um, as a... You know, built on the foundation that we find in the Apology, mm-hmm. right? Where where we we have, as I said before, um, I, Socrates is kind of the the prophet of this new way of living. He's also the the hero of um, the the restoration of of Athens, right? If if Athens is really to be restored, it's going to be restored one soul at a time, mm-hmm. and that's what the Socratic method is is focused on, right? It's it's not focused on on um, uh, legislative efforts. It's focused on reaching into one individual soul. Again, think of the the, the cave analogy, right? Um, you, the, the prisoner is released, and, but doesn't jump up and run out of the cave, right? Mm-hmm. He's dragged by his hair, mm-hmm. kicking and screaming, and forced to look into the into the light. Right? That's the effect of of dialogue. You're, you're, you're made to be accountable for the positions that you hold. You, you try to give an account of a reason why. You find that you can't. And so you scramble up a little farther looking for, for the light and, and that which is illuminated by the light. Mm-hmm. So um, all of that is, is there in a kind of nascent way, I think, in, in the apology. Not that um, Socrates himself had the kind of, of full view of, of a formal education that you find in Plato's Republic. But, but the germ is there, the kernel, that um, as Plato's career as a, a follower of Socrates unfolds, um, um, is built upon and, and comes to be this, this um, rich and flourishing tree. So what, what, what I think is also very important to be attentive to in, in reflecting upon the apology is, yes, we, we get many examples of how the philosopher speaks, how the philosopher um, thinks, what the philosopher thinks about human things um, are, are uh, identified as the, um, the primary target for uh, Socratic reflection. Um, that is to say, what is it to be a human being? How should you live your life? Um, the um, the view of, of philosophy here is 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 not to be reduced to the activities of the philosopher. Right? It's it's a way of living. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a way of living and of dying. Mm-hmm. And and this is thematic, certainly um, in the life of Socrates, but also the life and thought of Plato and the life and thought of of Aristotle. Right? In fact, the the whole classical tradition sees philosophy in this life and. It's remarkable the way in which that comes to be inherited in the the Christian period. Yeah. It, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, 
I, I, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think Socrates never leaves Athens except as a citizen, except to defend her on the battlefield. That's correct. And uh, and then of course he doesn't take wages for teaching. Right. He gives of himself. I mean, he's the most liberal, generous person in, in the ancient world in that regard. Uh, and and uh, and even. But but let's tie that then to the resolution of the dialogue. So, mm-hmm. and the and the the resolution looks something like this, right? So he makes his case, and you've represented his case very beautifully in the way you've talked about philosophy and what the focus of Socrates' work was and how he conveys that internal to the to the apology. And then the vote's taken, right? And and. Uh, the vote's pretty close, right? Right. Remind us how many people were, were voting and, and uh, how tight the, the vote actually was. Yeah, I, I, I want to say 529, but I, I don't remember precisely. Yeah. I should have looked Low at it. Low 500s. Yeah. And, and it was it was within um, 20-some-odd yeah. votes. So, And is that surprising to us as we're, we're reading this? Or are we surprised as, it, as it, it's, it's as tight as it was? Like, were you expecting... Because Socrates, you know, do you find this with your students that they go, wow, how come he didn't win? You know, like, wow, that was such a great case. And why didn't everybody go with him? Or or given the corruption of Athens, Mm -hmm. I'm amazed at how tight the vote was. You know, how how do you respond? Yeah, I mean, um, given given the the um, I guess public sentiment that is on full display when he's when when his his punishment is given. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think some people were giving him the benefit of the doubt. And um. I would have thought more would have found him guilty, right? Given given the state of Athens at the time, um, he makes a compelling case, but he also does things that are um, uh, problematic, right? So he, he says that he would refuse, even if they were to tell him, "Okay, we're going to exile you." Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he 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 projects this. Prior to the initial vote, um, he just can't imagine living a, a life in which he's not philosophizing. In fact, he, he refuses to do that because this is how man ought to live, right? Still, um, there's something compelling, and he's old. You know, why, why kill an old man? He's been around for a while. He's kind of, he's the crazy guy down in the Agora um, that that you see on a regular basis, and and. Uh, um, but then, when when he gets cheeky and 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 says you ought to be rewarding me, right? Then the benefit of the doubt is no longer being offered, and and um, he's he's given the maximal penalty of of death. And and uh, a question that, that can be raised here is um, was he on a, a death mission, right? I mean, he he would have known that this would have been really provocative, and he does offer to to pay. A fine, and it's not—it's not a small amount that he's offered, and and then that's been um, amplified by his friends who said, "Well, we'll chip in and, and pay a fine." But um, what's the cost? Okay, so the fine—the fine is paid, but he's not going to accept exile, and he's not going to stop philosophizing. And this guy has has just revealed himself as a, a public nuisance, and um, so you know. I can imagine many um, well-founded, right-minded Athenians saying, "Okay, you just forced my hand. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to have to condemn you to death." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the 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 ending of the dialogue, in a sense, shifts, does it not, from being an apology 
uh, about him, a defense of himself, and 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 which way the the verdict will go once the indictment is in place. Now he turns it around, right? Right. And he has something to say about Athens. That's what he say. Well, he 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 sees Athens as in need of profound purification, and he says. There have been many admirers who I've held back, and they're going to be unleashed upon you, right? Mm-hmm. So you think that you'll you'll stop this movement of living reflectively by getting rid of me. What you've just done is, um, um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, cultivated a garden of, of a whole host of new philosophical plants. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, he um, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of... Um, Humorous, but also really um, riveting moments at the end of the dialogue, where where he says, "Okay, um, I, I, I'm." Um, we haven't touched on the way he thinks about death here, which is another important thing to bring out. But he says, "I'm, go- I'm, I'm going to die. You're going to live. Who's going to the better place? Only the gods can say, right? Um, at least I know when when I'm in Hades and can engage." Um, um, Odysseus and, and Achilles in conversation, they won't put me to death there. Um, right? So so this is a, a moment of reckoning for Athens, where where her her imperviousness to um, living reflectively and, and showing the proper care for the soul that they ought will will uh, um, come come to haunt them. So I don't know if you had something else in, in mind about what's going to happen to Athens. No, I don't have anything in mind as such. I, I wanted to hear what you had to say about sort of the, the structural ending. You know, there's mm-hmm. a really reverts to an indictment of Athens. And yes. so, the, so the drama, the dialogue comes, in a sense, to uh, a very powerful uh, okay. uh, ending and a, very, uh, a resolution of sorts that, in a sense, is kind of a surprise, right? So mm-hmm. the young reader, especially reading that, Finally, comes to the, the verdict and says, "Wow, look at that!" Socrates turns right around, and, and, and it's Athens that's guilty. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there is a. Would you say that there is a sense in which? No, let me back up. Is this um, a final word from Socrates as a man who's been unjustly indicted and condemned to death? Only, uh, primarily, or is this? Also, or primarily, the voice of the last voice of the teacher to the the city, who's who, in where he's found his calling. That is to, to teach mm-hmm. each person that he encounters in the streets. Yeah, I think it's it's the latter, mm-hmm. and um, and it is in in some respects a kind of martyr's death. I mean, there's there's an analogy um, that can be made between the the birth of philosophy here and and the birth of, of Christianity. Um, um, insofar as as the, um, um, the the philosophical bug, you might say, um, never goes away. But but Athens. Athens, all of the the vices of Athens that really did lead it into um, this this very destructive war with Sparta, um, um, they're still they're still on display in Athens. Athens is at the end of her her dominance. Um, the only way forward is through following a kind of of. Um, um, therapy of the soul, and and that's that is what philosophy is for the Platonic philosopher. Wonderful. 
Jonathan Sanford, thanks so much. It's great to see you. And uh, again, thanks for hosting me here at the University of Dallas. Look forward to our next conversation. I do too. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Classics. I hope you enjoyed the interview and we'll keep the conversation going. We have more great episodes coming soon. So please join me again and bring your friends and family. I'm Andrew Zorneman for everyone at Kane Academy. We look forward to meeting you again on Classics. <laughs>